Well, good morning everyone and can I add to the welcome that uh, James gave to you. It's good to see you all here this morning. Don't forget that we meet this evening around the Lord's table and we'd encourage you, uh, if you're a visitor, to come, but also if you're a regular worshipper, it's a time to uh, meet around the Lord's table and to reaffirm our faith in him. Uh, This week, 73 letters were sent out from the church office. They were addressed to people who were in Charlotte Chapel on the morning service of the first Sunday of 2007. January the 7th, I see a few smiles because some of you got them. Uh, Let me explain. Uh, My message that morning, if you were here, was entitled New Year Resolution. So, here's what I said at the conclusion from my notes. I probably waffled a bit more, but this is basically what I said. Okay. What are you resolved to do in 2007? Maybe God has been speaking to you about something for some time, yet you have failed to take action. Maybe God has spoken to you from his word this morning. The answer must be personal. And if it's to be effective, you must take it seriously. So here is a suggestion. In your bulletin, this was first end of the year, you may have noticed an envelope and a blank sheet of paper. Why not head it, My New Year Resolution, and underneath write, God willing, and with God's help, in 2007, I resolve to, and then fill it in. Put it in the envelope, I said, seal it, and either take it home and put it somewhere safely, to those who did that, I'm reminding you this morning, or if you wish, write your address on it as you leave, put it in the offering box, and we promise to keep it safe, and not to open it, but to post it back to you in May. Well, to the 73 people who took up the invitation, I apologise that we're a couple of months late sending it back. However, I want to assure you that we did keep our promise. They were locked away safely. No one read what you wrote. And unless you shared it with anyone else, you're the only person who knew what commitment you may have made that Sunday morning. But I want to think about what was the reaction when the envelopes were opened. I guess, I'm just guessing here, I guess some people were delighted that with God's help they were able to keep their resolution. I won't ask for a show of hands, by the way. All right? I guess there were others of us who were disappointed that we failed to do what we resolved. And I guess there are a few who are rather embarrassed that they've forgotten all about it until it dropped through their letterbox. And whatever our reaction to these and other resolutions we may have made in the past, I want to suggest that those resolutions, important though they are, are not enough. What we need is not just resolutions, we need resolution to keep on going. Not just at the beginning of the year, but throughout the year. Not just at the beginning of the Christian faith, but throughout it, especially when, as it always does, 
the going gets tough. So, the title I've chosen for this message in August, as I begin my 16th year in this church, it seems a long time to me, and it probably seems a lot longer to most of you, is Mid-Year Resolution. And I want to focus on three verses in the New Testament. So, will you take your Bibles, and let's hear what God wants to say to us on this theme this morning, I believe. Uh, Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3. Uh, you will need a Bible. It will help to have one. There are Bibles in the pews. Uh, just ask one to pass, someone to pass one if you can't see one. Or just get it. Don't worry. I'm just going to worry about it. Uh, page 1210 if you have a pew Bible. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This is God's word for us this morning. Now the letter it's found in, Hebrews, is, as the name implies, written to Christians originally who came from a Hebrew or Jewish background. And in these verses, the author, and we can't be certain who wrote this, using a familiar picture from the Greek games, compares the Christian life to a race. Not a sprint, a long-distance race. We might call it the Christian marathon. And in any race, there are three distinct parts. First of all, there is starting the race. Many of us will have seen marathon races. Uh, one or two of us, like Joe, who is here at the back, I see, has run in quite a few marathons. Still not won yet, but now she's been in Afghanistan, I'm sure she'll do better. Uh, these Hebrews, this letter is written to, had begun the Christian race, not with huge cheering crowds, but in the face of great hostility. If you've got your Bible still at Hebrews 12, just flip back a little bit to Hebrews 10. Uh, and the, near the end, page 1208. Come on the screen, but it's good to look it up yourself. This is what the writer says to them. Remember those earlier days after you'd received the light, when you became Christians. When you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering, sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution, at other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had, a better, and, had better and lasting possessions. They started off as Christians, in the face of great difficulty, yet they have stood their ground. But now, when this letter is written, some years have passed. We can't be sure how many. 
But they had entered a second phase of the race. Marathon runners, I understand, call it hitting the wall. It's that point where you begin to struggle and you're tempted to drop out to give up. So the writer urges them, if you go back to chapter 10, verse 35, so do not throw away your confidence, it will be richly rewarded. Don't give up. Because there is a third and final phase to the race, which is succeeding. Verse 36 of chapter 10, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. And by way of encouragement, he reminds them of champions from the past who ran the race before them, the race of faith, trusting in God, and won the prize. So he's urging them, as it were, be inspired by these champions from the past. And we've been through chapter 11 in our series. If you want to download it, you can from the internet, get tapes of it. We went right through Hebrews chapter 11. can't remember when it was. Was it last year? Listing people from their Hebrew scriptures, that is our Old Testament, who ran the race of faith. So, now to chapter 12. This letter is written to urge these Hebrew Christians who were in this struggling phase of the race not to give up, to persevere, to keep going. So we come to chapter 12. Therefore, in view of all that's gone before, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, all the people mentioned in chapter 11, let us then throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So the title of this message, Mid-Year Resolution, could also be called Mid-Life Resolution. Maybe you've been a Christian for quite a few years. But if truth is told, you are now flagging in your faith. You're struggling. Maybe nobody else knows that. Or some people suspect it. Maybe you haven't stopped going to church, but it's not like it used to be. You're just putting in appearances, really. But if truth is told, you're struggling. Things are tough. And you're actually tempted to give up. The messenger for you this morning is, keep going. Maybe you're a Christian who's run the Christian race for many, many years. And you're in great danger of falling at the last hurdle. You might think when you've been a Christian for donkey's years, that's not possible. I say to all of us who've been on the Christian path for many, many years, Keep praying that you won't fall at the last hurdle. And maybe you've just started out in the Christian faith. I can see one or two of you came to faith in, in Christianity Explored and have been baptised here recently over this past few months. What I want to say to you this morning is the running habits you develop in those early years as a Christian will largely determine how well you run in the latter part of the race. Keep going. And finally, 
If you're here this morning and you've still not yet started out in the race, you've not yet put your faith in Jesus, the challenge to you is, get going. So, look with me more closely at these verses as I've been challenged by them again as I looked at them this week. I want to suggest, these verses tell us, there are three requirements for running well. Three requirements for running well. They all begin with the same letter, so you'll be able to remember them. And if it annoys you, just forget it and remember the point, not the word. The first word is preparation. Look carefully. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. The athlete has to be prepared to run. In the ancient Greek games, you actually had to prove that you'd been in serious training for at least a year in order to enter the events. And Hebrews 12 verse 1 tells us there are two things we need to get rid of or discard if we're going to run well by way of preparation. First of all, he says, let us throw off everything that hinders. The word hinder there in the original language literally means a weight, a burden, an impediment. It can refer to excess baggage that a person may be carrying or even to excess body weight. Now, the meaning is clear to us in the Christian race. There are some things in our lives which are not immoral, not illegitimate, but which weigh us down and hinder us from running effectively. Things which slow us down. And each one of us knows the individual thing or things in our lives which fall into this category. Maybe it's a hobby. Or a sport. Or a relationship. Or an all-consuming career or ambition. Not wrong in itself, but which has grown in proportion that it's hindering you running an effective Christian race. And the things which slow you down may not be the things that slow me down. But I tell you, in absolute certainty, there will always be things as a Christian you decide to discard if you're to run effectively and keep going. And if you can't think of anything in your life since you became a Christian that falls into that category, I would say you're not a very serious runner. And there will things also that we need to discard as we continue in the Christian life because we have a way, a habit, as we run, if you can picture this, of accumulating things as we go along. And it's so difficult because so often we fail to recognize the importance, the growing importance they have in our lives that have slowed us down in terms of our time, our money, our energy, and maybe most of all, our affection. We can fail to see that we've slowed down and we're no longer running as well as we once were. And that is why, on a day like this, it's good to take stock mid-race. And to ask yourself, am I running as well as I once was as a Christian? And if you've got a good friend who's a Christian, and I hope you have at least several, one, two... 
It's good to ask them, to be honest with you, and ask them, because we can deceive ourselves so easily in this area, to say to that friend, just be honest with me. Do you think I'm running as well as a Christian as I once was? We need to examine anything which may be slowing us down. He didn't just say it, he said everything that hinders. But secondly, there are other things that we need to discard or throw off that are illegitimate. Verse 1 describes them as sin that so easily entangles. Here's the, here the picture from the ancient world. Uh, people in those days wore long flowing robes that they sort of wrapped around themselves and tucked down between their legs and so on. Very comfortable and you could sit in your house and enjoy life uh, in those kind of clothing, these flowing robes. But when you come to a race, you wouldn't run in them because they'd get wrapped around your ankles. You'd get tripped up. Now, what the writer says is that sin does the same thing in the life of a Christian. It causes you to trip up instead of moving forward. So he says, not only throw off things that slow us down, but sins that trip us up. Uh, the reference here may be to some particular sin. Uh, the authorised version, I think, uh, translates it, besetting sin. A besetting sin is a sin that is a particular problem to an individual. One that always manages to trip you up. And I know what mine are, and I hope you know what yours are. You have enough awareness to know, what are the things that always trip me up? What are the habits that, if I'm not careful, will take over my life, trip me up and stop me running effectively? Uh, and mid-year, mid-life, is a good time for evaluation. And I simply ask you, as I ask myself, will I persist in cherishing and feeding that sin, or will I determine by God's grace to discard it, however costly it may be. William Cooper, great hymn writer from the past, who suffered from severe depression, wrote in one of his hymns, The dearest idol I have known, whate'er that idol be, help me to tear it from thy throne and worship only thee. That's a serious business. It's a serious business being a Christian. It involves serious preparation. I, I'll be honest with you, I have never run a marathon. The thought fills me with horror. And the reason is, <clears throat> I know if I was going to do it, I would have to put in an awful lot of hours pounding the streets in training and getting ready to be able to run. Now, you may think that's a bad thing, but it's far worse as a Christian. If you're going to be a serious Christian, if you're going to stay the course, if you're going to keep going, you need to take it seriously. It's not a hobby. It's not an addition to your life like, I play golf, you go to church. It's all-consuming. Serious business requires preparation. Okay, here's the picture then. The spectators are in place, the crowds, the athletes stripped down for action. Here's the second, second requirement for running well. Preparation, persistence. Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. One of the key words and themes of this book of Hebrews, if you've ever read it, and if you haven't, uh, read it. If you're a new Christian, you'll find it tough because it's got so many references written to Jews, to the Jewish scriptures, but there are lots of books to help you do that. It's a profitable exercise. Okay, one of the great themes is perseverance. The great need of every Christian runner is to persevere, to keep on keeping on, especially when the going gets tough. 
In fact, um, I could have called this, instead of persistence to keep up the rhyming piece, I could have called it perspiration. For it involves sweat, hard work, over the long haul. See, it's one thing to start as a Christian in a burst of enthusiasm. It's another to go on running, especially when the going gets hard. Um, Dick Lucas writes on this, The model for the Christian life here is one of endurance rather than excitement, which seems to be the prevailing one today. So what is highlighted here is the importance of endurance. Endurance implies persistence in the face of difficulty and suffering. Yet many people seem to think that being a Christian is a pretty easy option. And when things go wrong or they face difficulty or problems, they're quite surprised by it. Shook again thinking, if you read the book of Acts, which is the story of how the Christian church spread, um, if you come to Acts 13 and 14, it's the account of what's called the first missionary journey. Uh, and Paul, great missionary messenger, and his companion Barnabas go out into the Mediterranean world and they go along a certain route uh, and every, each place they come to they preach the good news of Jesus and people respond and little congregations, churches, not buildings but people, are set up. Now what's really interesting to me is at the end of Acts 14 it describes how when they got to the end of their route they retraced it back home again visiting all these new Christians, these little churches that they'd established. And uh, here's what Luke says they did. They obviously did a lot more, but this is what Luke summarises. This is Acts 14, verse 21. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch, the place where they'd been, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. Now, if you were talking to new church and new Christians... What would you put in your orientation course for them? What would you say to them? This is really important. This is what you really need to know. Luke only tells us one thing they told them. I know they probably told them lots of other things, but this is the most important one. They encouraged them to remain true to the faith. They said, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. I've read all sorts of discipleship training courses. I haven't read many where that's right on the front page. The importance of endurance. That's what we should expect. Hardship, if we're going to get to the kingdom, if we're going to win the prize, stand on the rostrum. Now, just as the things which weigh us down and the sins that attack us are personal to each one of us, so also is the race marked out for us. You see, in a marathon race, of course, the course is marked out, all the runners run the same route. But here the writer sort of Broadens the picture a little. And he says, each one of us needs to run the particular race marked out for us. No one course is the same for every Christian. Each one of us faces different circumstances. Each one of us here this morning is facing different challenges to your faith. And the truth, if truth be told, when the going gets tough, is it not true that you glance across to your fellow Christian in Charlotte Chapel and think, wow, I wish I'd got their race to run. They don't seem to have the problems I have. They don't seem to face the difficulties I face. But I simply say this morning, that is none of your business. Or mine. Our business is to follow the particular path that God has marked out for us. You remember at the end of John's Gospel, 
uh, that lovely story when the Lord Jesus Christ, by the Sea of Galilee, after his resurrection, calls Peter a second time after he's failed. And he says to Peter, you're going to follow me and it's going to be a really tough route at the end of your life. You're going, to, you're going to be led by people. You're going to have to do things that you don't want to do. And it's a pretty tough prescription. And John records that Peter glances around and there he sees the disciple Jesus loved, John. And he says to Jesus, but Lord, what about him? And Jesus, in effect, says, none of your business. You must follow me, John 21, 22. And I know some of your circumstances, the pastor of this church. Many of them I have no idea of. And behind the facade, who knows what challenges you're facing at this particular time. It's a particular path that God has marked out for you. And if he's marked it out for you, then you can confidently trust him to see you through it. The only alternative is to turn back. And the only sure sign that you're a real Christian who's entered the Christian race is that we go on. Theologians call this the perseverance of the saints. We're all saints if we're Christians. Perseverance means that saints persevere. It is not an excuse for apathy. I'm a saint, so I'm going to persevere. No, it is an antidote to complacency. The sure sign that you are a saint is that you persevere. When someone does not go on or goes back, continues in sin which is never confessed or repented of, then we have ground for doubting whether that person really is a saint. But ultimately that is God's judgment. So again, if you just go back to Hebrews 10, the end of it, it's about the perseverance of the saints. Just, just look again before we turn to our third point. He says, verse 35, Hebrews 10, 35, So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You're going to get there in the end. Don't, don't give up now. You're in the race. It's a struggle. Don't give up. There's a prize waiting. Look at the rostrum. Look at the award, the medals. You need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what's been promised. What he has promised. For in just a little while he who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one will live by faith. If he shrinks back, I'll not be pleased with him. Quote back from the Old Testament, from a prophet. But then he says, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. So, here's the first two requirements of running well. Preparation, persistence. But if we stopped here, we might be greatly challenged, but not greatly helped. We would still be in Hebrews 11, under the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. But we have something better, someone better, to help us to run well. So the third and final requirement for running well, as we come to our verses in Hebrews 12, can be summarized under the word perspective. Let us then fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us fix our eyes, our perspective, on Jesus. Uh, we recently returned from a great holiday 
uh, which we spent, it was our 30th wedding anniversary, this is the excuse, really, um, on a tropical island. And one of the reasons we went, most of you know, I keep uh, marine fish tanks and I've got marines and corals. It was in order to go swimming and see these wonderful corals and fish. And we had a great time. But as I was there, one thing I really regret is that I'm not a stronger, better swimmer. There were all these other people saying, oh, if you go out over the reef there, it's about 50 feet deep and it's great. And I'm going, no way. And I was kind of feeling a bit bad about this. I thought to myself, I just wish I'd learned to swim better. And then I thought of someone to blame. I was taught swimming at my school by the German master. His name was Herr Willi Wilbrandt. <laughs> However, I never ever saw him in the pool. In fact, I never ever saw him other than in a three-piece suit with a tie and a watch walking along the edge of the pool. He must have been in his 60s then, mind you, I don't blame him, but uh, telling us how to swim. And so that's the reason why I'm not a better swimmer. <laughs> now, in the Christian race, we do not have an armchair coach who tells us how to run the race from the grandstand of heaven. No, we have one who is now in the grandstand of heaven, who ran the race before us, Jesus the Son of God. So we and those Hebrew Christians to whom this letter was first written are reminded, he says, look, Jesus started the race. He's the author of our faith. He entered our world as one of us, as a tiny baby. He grew up and faced all the trials and testing and the struggles. In the same way as us, he overcame all of them. Hebrews 4.15 describes him as one who is able, therefore, to sympathize with our weaknesses, for he was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus started the race. He's the author of our faith, but he says he's also the perfecter of our faith. He succeeded in the race. When Jesus died on the cross, the gospel accounts record that when he died on the cross, he cried out, it is finished. And the root word for finish there is the same word here, perfecter. It means to complete something successfully. Well done. No loose ends left over. But how did Jesus succeed in the race? He succeeded because he persisted. He says he endured the cross. He says for the joy that was set before him, for the prize that was ahead of him. Jesus didn't give up, but he went through the humiliation of a criminal's death on a cross. And God showed that Jesus succeeded by raising him from the dead, and now Jesus is in the grandstand. He is seated on the victor's rostrum at the right hand of the throne of God, the place of highest honour and authority. So, we have someone, the only person, who has ever completed this marathon successfully. He knows and understands the struggles, the difficulties of the race in which we're engaged. Not only that, he's able to help us in the race. What we need to do at all times then is fix our eyes on him. So let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Now maybe this morning you're not a Christian yet. You've never started the race and after what I've told you about the difficulties you may wonder whether you're ever going to or want to. But there is no other race to run if you're to succeed. You need to come to the foot of the cross and fix your eyes on Jesus. The one who died bearing your sin so that you might be reconciled to God. He has done all that is necessary. You may say, you don't know me, you don't know my sins and my failures. No, I don't. 
But the book of Hebrews says he's able to save completely those who come to God through him. Put your trust in him. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Maybe you're a Christian this morning who's struggling. And I simply want to remind you, he is the perfecter of your faith. Those lovely verses, the Apostle Paul, as he opens his letter to the Christians in Philippi, he says, I'm writing to you because I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, that doesn't mean you just sit back and say, well, God's going to do it. No, it's an incentive to keep going. It requires your cooperation. Perhaps you're running poorly this morning. Some of you maybe have already given up if truth were told. He can forgive and restore you back into the race, pick you up, bring you back. Perhaps this morning you're finding the going tough. Particular circumstances. He is there alongside you. You have one, the book of Hebrews says, who's able to help you, to give you grace in time of need. Look away from the problems and the difficulties. Fix your eyes on Jesus. In the words of verse 3, don't give up. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you'll not grow weary and lose heart. Almost finished. Let me say something in conclusion. Don't switch off at this point because what you do at this point is the crucial thing. When we go on holiday, we always try and take a good Christian book or two to read. Uh, And this year we took a book which I want to recommend to you and we'll be getting some on the bookstore, I hope. Uh, Not this week, but hopefully next week. It's called A Resilient Life, written by Gordon MacDonald, who's an American pastor and uh, author. And the word resilient is the word that he uses for persevering. Resilience. And he writes from the perspective of someone who's now getting on in his 60s, who spent decades in Christian service. And I was struck, perhaps being in a similar phase of life, uh, by some words from the opening chapter of his book. really just jumped out at me. Because it's contrary to what the world thinks about people. Listen carefully. He says, Whenever I've gone and talked about the resilient life, I have insisted that one must anticipate that the greatest contribution God has for us to make will happen in the second half of your life. One must anticipate that the greatest contributions God has for us to make will happen in the second half of your life. And then he adds, you should see the reaction if I add, and you folks in the 40, in actuality, most of what you're doing now is simply running the first laps of the race. However, that doesn't mean that those first laps are unimportant. Those first laps are vital. Because it's in those early laps that you establish good running habits. Good Christian disciplines to keep going lap after lap after lap, mile after mile after mile. And then in the second half, you can be effective for God and win the prize. Those running habits will largely determine whether you stay the course and make an effective contribution for God in the second half of your life. That's an encouragement to some of us here who are certainly in the second halves of our lives. 
And for those younger, maybe it's a challenge to you just to keep going. Even when it's tough. Especially when it's tough. These are our verses. Let me uh, finish by reading them uh, from Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, the message. This is a paraphrase, all right? Those who attack me at the door and say it's not the word of God. It's just one man's explanation of what these verses say, all right? Listen carefully because it just kind of makes it clear, right? This is how he translates, uh, paraphrases these verses. It says, Do you see what this means? All those pioneers who blazed the way, all those veterans cheering us on, it means we'd better get on with it. Strip down, start running and never quit. No extra spiritual fat. No parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Because he never lost sight of where he was headed, that exhilarating finish in and with, and with God, he could put up with anything along the way. Cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there. In the place of honour, right alongside God, when you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item. That long litany of hostility he ploughed through, that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. Let's pray together.